Hi, it's Cammy Chris Kamara, and you are listening to the Trinity Heritage Podcast with Jamie and Lee Robinson. They are unbelievable. This meeting is being recorded. Good afternoon, good morning, and good evening from wherever you are listening from. Welcome to episode 57 of the Wakefield Trinity Heritage Podcast, the only active Wakefield Trinity podcast worldwide. I'm your co-host, Jamie Robinson, and joining me as ever is my co-host, my dad, Lee Robinson. How are we doing, Dad? Hello, and welcome to uh, this week's podcast as the season starts winding down. Well, it's wound down, really, as we're, as we're sat here. Uh, we go modern day again t- tonight and chat to one of our young guns who has, has had a tremendous first season. As we sat talking to him, he sat with a headband on. He's got a bit of concussion from last night, um, but all's going well. And this week, we welcome Corey Hall. Corey, thanks for joining us, mate. Thanks for having us. Uh, pleasure to be on here. Yeah, Corey, this this is actually being released next Monday, but just for the people who are listening out there, we're recording the day after the Huddersfield loss. But you, like like my dad says, you sat there with a bandage around your head and, and you just said you've got out an A&E at half past five this morning. So what's what's been the crack with that? So um, I, had a, I had cauliflower starting to foam and uh, you could imagine panics kicked in early. So I've been asking physio staff all, all for the past two weeks, I want, can I get a drink, can I get a drink? And then it's got to the point where they said it's because it's a short turnaround. The minute we drain it, it'll just pop up flare straight away. So I, I put my trust in them, even though we're getting bigger week by week. And uh, last night, I, I just begged the physios to let me go. And Patrick, who was there, took me to NHS and he referred me in. And before you know it, I have my ear drained after, after six hours of waiting. But it's all worth it. It's all worth it to keep me normal here. <laughs> I know you had you had a bit of a head knock last night as well. How are you feeling after that? Yeah, I feel fine. Um, might have knocked some sense into my life, but yeah, I feel 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 okay. Spot on, mate. Spot on. And and just a brief before we touch on Wakefield a bit later on down the line, mate. But how, how have you felt this season's gone for the club? I know it's not maybe as as high as we wanted, as many wins as we wanted, but a positive outcome nonetheless. Yeah, I think it's a positive outcome. Like when you look at the the overall season in general, I think when we first started the first block of five games, five, six games. Uh, you could have said that we're competing for a top six, top eight side. The way we were coming, we're coming just short against Catalans, who met top four for now. St. Helens at half-time, we were pushing forward and we didn't get the result in the end. And then we went through a bit of a phase where we um, started to go on a losing streak and I think losing becomes an habit, just like winning does. And we turned it around and then it's like the minute we, we turned it around, we, we won like four from the last five. But uh, when you look at the season in general, I think it's been a season of ups and downs and a roller coaster of emotions. And you've, it's Willie's first year of coaching, and he's got to put his views across and his philosophy how he, how he wants his team to play. And you've got a lot of lads leaving as well, so they're playing with a lot of emotion, which you like. You like to see them, I and mean, you've got a lot of young lads coming through as well, making the, like so, like me making my debut, Lewis Murphy. Um, Isaac Shaw, Harry Bowes, and you've got Jack Croft, Yusuf Hayden, like they're all they're all pushing for like the the spots in the team. So yeah, it's been quite a positive season, I'd say. Never never mind the, the position in the table. I think we can just take a lot of benefits from it. Definitely so, mate. I totally agree. We um if you listen to the podcast before, Cora, we always start with the the same first question. I'll ask the same one to you as well, mate. What what is the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the words Wakefield Trinity? So, it, it's it, it's a bit of a wee one, but scholarship. So, because <laughs> I, I got signed for the scholarship at Wakefield, so 
first thing when I think of Wakefield, I think signing my scholarship because that's where my career all started. And then I just, my mind just goes back to the gym behind the flats, being in there in the cold mornings, and being on Bellevue pitching. I think that's my first thoughts because I think it's so close to me and so close to me and my family. Like Wakefield was the people that gave me the only shot to become a professional rugby player. So I think when I think of that, I just think of the the the, the system coming through. And if I were to think of it on a, on a bigger picture, I just think generally good people and a, a close-knit club from the bottom to the top. And everyone's, they know chips on no one's shoulders and everyone's there for each other. And I think it just makes it, such a, that's the club. Brilliant stuff, mate. Good, good answer. Uh, just tell us a little bit about your background, mate. We know you're a Sheffield lad. Um, were you born and bred in Sheffield? I understand your mum was a Cumbrian uh, by birth. Yeah, still sit over. Been born and bred Sheffield ever, ever since I was born in Jessup's. Um, so I've, I've lived in my life always in Sheffield, and my mum was from Whitehaven, well, Kells to be precise. And she moved over when I was six because my granddad was from Sheffield and they were working on the steel. And he went up there and met my, uh, I call her mama, but my grandma, uh, in a in a club and came back down to Sheffield and never looked back since. And you look 60 years, like 50 years later, 40 years later, and we're still here. Uh, we we often go up to Kells Club, where Kells Amateur team is, which that's another club that's close to my heart as well, because my, my uncle and uh, his connections and ties to the club. But now I've been born and bred in Sheffield all my life. Rugby's not being a big, a big thing in Sheffield. It's always your football or your boxing. Uh, but yeah, it's, I'd say it's God's country, like. But some people might beg to differ. <laughs> Are you red or a blue? United or Wednesday? Yeah, I'm a Sheffield United. I United. <laughs> I. Yeah, good stuff. Tell about your your junior career, mate. Uh, Hillsborough Hawks. I've heard you talk about the Hawks before. Is that your your one and only junior team? Yeah, so I, I was five years old and my uncle from Cumbria, who was massively into rugby, was saying to my mum, just get him into rugby, take him on a Tuesday night, just take him. And funnily enough, the, my best mate at the time, he was going to a rugby club and he must have been the only kid out of my school that was going there as well and he was my best mate. So I think his say just pushed it over the edge. I think my uncle put the idea in my mum's head, but my mum didn't know what rugby league was and she, she didn't know anything about the sport. So my mum being my mum and wanting to support me and let me do anything I wanted to, she she just took me down on the Tuesday night and I went with my best mate and yeah, I started going every week. Um, I was about five years old and every week on a Tuesday night I'd go down to a place in Hillsborough, Hillsborough Arena near uh, the Sheffield Wednesday ground and train. And it, over the years we got to the point where I was playing a year above and we'd get beat 50-0 by West Ball, you know, your kickbacks or your underbank, anyone but... We went a rugby a rugby club and then all of a sudden we dropped down a year and they were playing our own age and we had enough players there. And we just we've never looked back since and we, we started playing well, winning loads of games and we got to where we joined the, the Yorkshire divisions where it's like the that's uh, the amateurs in it, the, the dead set structure. And we got promoted every season, got to division two when we lost every game and there were there were doubts in my head thinking, Oh, am I gonna get scouted? Do I want do I wanna go to a different club and my mum and my stepdad at the time, who used to play rugby, called me Stringer. He, they said, this is the sport that you're playing and it's good to learn it early, that like you can't just leave when it gets tough. And there was doubts like, oh, mum, I, I don't know if I'll get scouted, do I need to go to a different club? And they said, well, you've got to stay. And I did. 
and that taught me a lesson as well early on. Um, and I got managed to get scouted the next season after for Wakefield, so it all worked out. And yeah, I've always been at that club ever since I was 16 and finished. Good stuff. Did you watch the game as well? Did you watch Sky TV? Did you did you did you follow Super League? Well, when when people used to say like, who did you look up to as a as a kid? I hadn't like if I had to be choosing myself because I didn't watch the sport at all growing up as a kid. So it'd be hard for me to to name someone. And um, if I would be anyone from Kells first team, because that's the only game I'd ever end up watching <laughs> if I were a youngster uh, or Hillsborough Oaks. But when I got to the age of about 12, well, about 13, I'd say, I started watching Sky Sports religiously on the Thursday and Friday night games. And um, I'd watch it every week and just look at the players and look what I wanted to be in it. I think it would be like, imagine, like, looking at looking at it and, like, imagining what it'd be like for me. And I think it just fed, fed my, like, hunger to become a... a a first team player even more, but when I started watching it, yeah, I've never looked back since. Was there anyone else in that Hillsborough Hawks club who actually went on to be professional? Are you the first one? Um, I think there's someone uh, called Jason Davidson at Leeds, the general manager, yeah. and he came through Hillsborough and he always used to say to me at Leeds, "Yeah, you'll always be number two for best rugby player in Sheffield." So he's let me know that he came through the system. Uh, Key Senior's from Sheffield as well, but I don't know whether he came through the Hillsborough system. Um, so it'd be interesting to know if he did, but I know because he, he's a he's a legend, so at, at Leeds, so he was from Sheffield. And he's like you got your players like Corey Aston, Eddie Batty came through there as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, you have your odd players make it through. It isn't very often that you see someone make it through the, the club, but when you do, it's, the people seem to get there to the first team. Yeah, it must mean a lot to you then, because obviously you look at, you know, teams like Wigan St. Jude's and Stanningley and all these from Leeds and St. Helens and Wigan, who, who probably get 10 youth players a season through to scholarships. But for you to get through and work hard and really be a Hillsborough Hawks boy, it must mean a lot to you. Yeah, it means it, it means it means awfully a lot, because when you when you look at that and you look at the statistics wise of people who make it, it makes, makes you feel honoured really. And sometimes you think you're lucky, but... I don't. Sometimes the such fingers look, and you just got to work hard. And it's like they give me the platform to to be a, a professional club, and I'll always remember him, and I'll always speak highly of the the club, and do anything I can to help my heart. So sorry, mate. How did Wakefield end up scouting you then? So it got to a point where we were getting promoted every season. So we're starting Division Five, and we're going to Division Four, Division Three, and as the years went on. These were getting close to the year nine, so where the scouting becomes popular for the year 10 scholarship. So we were playing our games and um, we had this man child on our team. Oh no, there were another like Phoenix Lalu Togger guy. So he, he was my age, but he used to play a year above me. Uh, so I'm quite close to him as well. But um, there was a man child on our team and it was a, it was built like an 18 year old like bloke at, at, at 13. And the word had got round like this kid is big, he's strong. And I, I took it in my shy to think, right, if he's going to get that, I'll pass the ball. So it looks like everything's going through me. So I can try and get scouted as well. But scouts started coming down to watch it, watch him play. And uh, it happily enough spotted me whilst whilst they was watching him on an odd game in Sheffield. And they came back again, the Wayfield scout. And then they put, they put an offer in to sign me at scholarship and I remember remember seeing it really and thinking oh my gosh I can't believe it and I went to school the next day like I had the piece of letter in my bag so if no one believed me I could just show them straight away <laughs> and I remember saying to my mates oh I've got I've got a scholarship I'm, I'm, I'm buzzing 
And there was like, because they're from Sheffield, they're like, is, is it a good club? Is it a good club? And because they didn't, they didn't watch rugby at all. And they're like, yeah, it's a Super League club. Don't worry, it's a Super League club. I'm buzzing. And then it went from there. Never looked back since. What happened to the big lad? He ended up signing on as well. But, but sometimes with the, like when you're big at a young age, some people come to catch you up and you, you, you learn an harsh lesson sometimes. And uh, he got to the second year of scholarship and I, I, uh, he weren't interested no more in the sport. So he decided to not keep going and I can't blame him. It's his life and what he wanted to take. But if he had dig like dug hard, I reckon he still would. I, th- I reckon he could have been with me right now. What, what did you, I know you mentioned you watched Super League and you watched the Sky Games. What did you know about Wakefield? Because obviously, as, even as we both sit here now, we're not the, we're not the biggest, most illustrious team. Yeah, so at scholarship, there was days where you could get earned 20 quid and you'd go on the ticket store and you'd go there and you'd do the ticket and then you'd be able to watch the game afterwards or you'd bowl boy. So I remember when that came, I'd do it every time religiously. Like So I'd get, obviously, because I wanted me 20 quid, like, and then Wakefield after. <laughs> but... I'd go on the tickets and let, let everyone through. And I think it like, like maybe a part of the club even more. And then like embedded us from youth early on and le- like learned us how to be a part of the club. And I, I reckon I would have done if nothing anyway. Because I, like, I just loved it. And then I remember like watching the game. So the St. Helens game where Bill's done the left foot, left foot step, ran full length and got Ben Barber. And I remember watching the game, like we fell two points short that day. And I remember it being a massive game and just looking at it and watching all the games as they went on and just thinking, wow, I just, I just wanted to be a part of this club and like wanted to play. And when you looked at the fans around, yeah, the, the 10,000, but they were a, lot, they were a lot like a close fans. And I'd rather have that instead of a, a lot of fans and then it just dies off. But I think we've got a rock, rock solid base, a fan base. And that, I think that's what I saw as well and felt. And when I was watching the players, it was like the day for feeders and builds and Tash, Milka, and all the players that I'm playing with now. So it's it's quite like a a reality check for me now to like think, oh, well, I'm playing with him after I used to watch him and think, I don't know if I'd ever make it like they did. How did you manage to get to training? Being being obviously from Sheffield, and you're only a, a 14 year old lad. So my mate who made it to the scholarship, we used to car share. So um, we'd, we'd set off about half, half four to get there. And my mum and his mum would take it in turns, or my stepdad at the time, uh, we used to play in championship. So um, they we, we used to car share, but before that happened, my, my, uh, Mitch Stringy called and we used to play Sheffield Eagles. It was my stepdad at the time and he sat me down when I was 13 and he once said, what do you want to be when you're older? And I said, oh, I want to be a rugby player. And they like looked at me and said, "Well, you got to change your body shape because I'm on the chicken nugget diet." So <laughs> I just put, I went on six 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 month diet and got myself in best shape I probably could have. I had abs popping out, probably in better shape than, than I am now. And I got scouted. Uh, that's when I leading up to the scouting as well. So you know, he'd always have a part of my rugby career as well, and he'd get me on the hills and get me on the steps, and they'd just prepare me for the the, the scholarship what might come. And it, if I would train me harder than they did, and I think I needed that. So to to get my foot in the door but when I used to go it was a, um, a Wednesday night a Monday night a Wednesday night and a Friday night and a Saturday morning maybe the odd Saturday morning or Monday Wednesday Saturday morning so we'd always train then and I just remember like going there and car sharing and just thanking my mum a lot thanking my mates mum a lot and for what they had to do sometimes we'd have to take his uh, little sister to dance and then we'd set straight off so a lot of respect was out to what they had to do and unsociable hours that they had to put in 
just to support us too. So you can't, I can't thank him enough. But um, there was a, I remember the, the scholarships trading as well. It'd be quite tough, and it'd be like two and a half hours long, and they'd just sit in the car and not more, or complain once. So a lot of respect, like we had to my mates, mum and mum. Do you still do you still live in Sheffield now? Yeah, so I still live in Sheffield now. I live at my in-laws and my girlfriend, and they—that's where I'm based at the, at the minute. And they—they they facilitate me and put all food on the table to help me play every week. So it's good. Good stuff. Well, did you feel it was a big jump from training with the Hillsborough Hawks under-14s to Trinity Scholarship under-15s? How did you find oh, that? Yeah. So the jump were massive. I'd say it's like. It's like learning your driving lessons. You go in there and it's just not what you expect. And sometimes it's a nice reality check. And I was looking around. And you have the doubt on the first day when you're looking around, and there were there was loads of players. And I'm thinking, can I can I keep up with these? And you, I think the doubt led me to work even harder. So when I got there day one, I just thought, right, I'm gonna, if I can't be best at rugby, I'll try and be fittest. And I took it as I got on, and then I thought, right, I'll build my skill up. And then when I was trying to be fittest, I was trying to be more skillful as well. And the jump, like the, the even like the intensity wise, and you're training with year above as well, and they're the top two div- divisions above you, and and they're a year older as well. So you, you get to train. I guess you get to train with the best, and when you're not really used to it, it, it I think it, it's harsh for the first six weeks, and then after that, you 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 were in and amongst it. Because so you must have done something right, because in this era when you were 16, you got picked for England. You remember going to France. For that game. Yeah, so there was a there was a time where um there was a the head of youth just before match there was someone called Richard Kelly the, the head of youth and I had played the year at, at the 15 scholarship and there were like uh, two clubs that came to try and watch me and this and other and I was just playing playing through it and I thought as if like people wanted to think but because I loved the club that much that it didn't it didn't bother me or phase me at all and when I was playing them and I remember playing the nights and the scholarship nights year above at fullback or playing fullback and it got to the end of the year for the England and my details got to get sent off to the trials so that was the first year under 15 so they're like me Robbie Butterworth and Dan Windrow we all us three got forgot and uh, <laughs> it was just, it was, sorry mate sorry mate and an handshake <laughs> by Richard but I guess that taught, taught me a lesson early, early on like rugby and fair and life in fair but the year after, I thought, right, I'm going to do everything I can. And then Mash became the newer head of youth and he put my details through and he, funnily enough, came across with us. So I got me, Harry Bowes, uh, Robbie Butterworth and Dean, I think, Windjoy and someone called Jordan. Uh, Jordan. We all got sent after the trials again in January. So it started, it was a long, probably a long selection process. It might have lasted about three, four months before you got picked and uh, we'd, we'd turn up every week and do the club proud and at the end of it I got picked for it and I was quite shocked really I remember getting post through letter and I saw it in everyone's snapchat stories so I could even see everyone's getting in before before and depending on how good their Royal Mail were is how quick you could find out and I remember my mum driving around the state trying to find uh, the, the postman's trying to see if we got a letter <laughs> and uh, funnily enough it came through the post and I looked at it and I just sat there in shock and disbelief and how was the game in France? Do you remember it? You played in the second test in France in 2018. Yeah. So when I played there, my first ever game at centre. Well, I'd say officially like proper first game at centre. And to be quite honest, I think it was one of the worst games in my life. <laughs> how I played. And 
I think we went over there and I, I just tried to play to play well. But when you see the shape that they run at you at centre and you're not used to it, it's, it's a rude awakening call. And then the week after we played the Catalan Dragons, and I had I had a week and I worked hard that following week in training at England. And I thought right, I'll, I'll bounce back with your reaction and played well. And I probably played one of the best games I could ever play against Catalans, which were their French team more or less. That that, but, yeah. that crop of youngsters we had at that time, Corey was was quite instrumental to kind of our squad now. I know people like Crofty, Eustace Hyden, Connor Bailey were, were the year above you almost. But then you look at yourself and you say Robbie Butterworth, Dane Windrow, Harry Bowes, Isaac Shaw, um, Sam Essay obviously coming in a little bit later as well. And, and there's a chance that that will be a big crux of the first team going into the future as well. What what was different about that, that era that all these talent was coming through at the same time? So uh, the scholarship time, we had the games. So when I was the under 15s and we had the Yusuf and the under 16s and Jack Croft and people like that and Cam Lees, there was a player called Cam Lees who got like through the system and he he would have been a, like a really good nine if he'd kicked on and carried on. He had all the potential in the world, but um, the under 15s, you could tell. So from that year, we won six out of eight scholarship games or five out of eight. And I know it was a high percentage of games. And when you look now, it's like, those youngsters coming through was like we could try and resemble that in the first team it's a high win percentage that and it's a top eight side but I know it's hard to look back at scholarship and think well if they've done it there why can't we do it now but I think when you look at it we're competing against Warrington's Castleford's Bradford's all, all the, the the cap one scholarships and we're put, put like we were winning um, so I think it was a good resemblance to what could look, it look like in the future I reckon in the future now, I think when you look, it's a bit like a transition area, isn't it? You've got your your Dave's, your T's, your Milky's all leaving the club. And then you've got your Harry Bowes, you've got your Lewis Murphy's coming up, you've got your Sam S's, Isaac Shaw's, Dan Windrow, and then Patrick Road. I never know who's coming through as well. And you've got you've got all these coming through as well. So it's a bit like a transition. And I reckon when you look at it, if I said to you, like, could you name like a lot of like 25 middle-aged players in our team, there'd be a very few. So it's either you're very young or very old. And I think it's starting to get that transition through. What does Mash do? Mash do that's so instrumental? Because obviously he's done a lot for the club in a, in a relatively short period of time with the youth. I think it's his time, effort and love for the club. I don't, uh, if I thought I loved Wayfield, then I'd, I clearly haven't met Mash. Um, I think what he does to be a part of the club and anything he'll do, he'll from the 16s onwards, he'll be in and around it and he'll give his full attention and if you need help, he'll help you to the most he can. And I think the the, the trust he has and like the confidence in players to come out and sign them and think, right, I'll put my time and effort into you because I know it might not be an easy rodeo, but after that, I know you'll be a very good player and he'll do anything he can to help you and he'll do most things that I'd say the youth might not do. Uh, in the modern era and he'll always rather provide and bring through the crap of players he's got first and look out and try and get someone else in and even at first team he'll help everyone out he'll be there for Willie and Franny and do anything they ask him to do we'll get all the clips up he'll go through people's clips like Sam SNR like he'll go through his clips and he'll big like Sam he'll drive in from Feverston from the Feverston game sit down and do the clips of Marsh and Mash and him will keep in close like dialogue and say, "Oh, come in and do your clips." And it just shows that when a player's out on loan, you don't really ever get good to like. When I was at York last year, I played on loan, and when I went back to Leeds, I didn't go through my game once at all. No coach asked me to. And when you look at Sam Nye, he's coming in, he's doing it, and he's been there quite long. 
So it ain't like it's the one month thing. It's been a however many months he's been there, and they've done it every week. Uh, so I just think like little things like that. And I said to Mash, could I work on something after training to be there and would work on it for 10, 15 minutes, maybe five minutes longer than I wanted to, but it'll always push you harder. I love that because a team like Wakefield needs the effort of, of, the, of the people who work there for a long period of time because we don't have the money. We don't have the, you know, the, the massive facilities like other clubs as well. So it goes a long way. And I think for me as a fan, it's obvious the scouting is spot on as well because like I say, picking you up from Sheffield and... I know people like Harry Bowes and Isaac Shaw were a bit late bloomers as well, weren't they? They didn't come in straight at 13, 14 and picking these lads up out of nowhere. Yeah, you, you could say the scouting system is really good. And I don't think I had once we had one scout come to Sheffield in all of the year that we were playing. And I think just how that way scout might I just thought, oh, you know what? I'll go down to M1. You got Yari Bowles who comes from Showcross at under 16s. You got Lewis Murphy who comes from Wakey College at 70. So I think the scouting system is that broad for Wakefield. I think it, it doesn't get the credit it deserves. Um, when you look at most players that have come through, like you say, oh, when you're watching Super League, you might say, oh, he's playing for Salford, but he came through Leeds Academy. But if you sat down and said, oh, he's come through Wakefield Academy, you'd be shocked to be how many players that have come through the Wakefield system. It just gone up, it just branched off. Uh, I think that's how it was a couple of years ago. I don't know, but like the, the players sometimes branching off to bigger clubs. But if you looked at the players that came through, you'd be you'd be shocked. So now to get a little bit sour, Corey, how come you ended up at Wigan? So, so you got to the under 16s age, and the year before there was like a Warrington and Castleford that tried to like look at me like so. I didn't know how to deal with the club, so I I I just my mum sat me down early and said, I can't take you to Warrington even if you wanted to go because you can't drive there. We can't drive with them. And I said, well, it's your call. And I said, well, I'm happy at Wakefield. So we just went through anyways. But my mum told me early, so then she felt like I didn't have to make it say I didn't want her to go Warrington, which I wasn't. I didn't. She just wanted to tell me early that she couldn't probably, she, well, she couldn't take me, uh, especially with a job that she worked. Um, so I think she just wanted to nip it in the bud early to be able to tell me. And I said, that's fine, because I wasn't even thinking about it anyway. I just took it as a compliment. Uh, so we got to the second year, uh, and I was playing a few games, and it was at the City of Hull, the year Hull Academy. And we were playing there, and I was playing at centre against their, their team. And Wigan under-19s, I got told the story, actually. like The Wigan under-19s, Daryl Golden was the coach. And they was playing, it was like, a bit of like a double-header, and he was stood at the side, and they, looked at, they were watching us play. And he said when I had signed, he said, well, I looked at you and I thought, oh, you look like an athlete. I put you on the scouting scouting books. And after that, there were scouts turning up at my every amateur game and every uh, every scholarship game. And eventually there was a scout called Tom Bickerton. And after, after, after it all, he had put the declaration of interest in it. It was the only club that wanted to sign me because under 16, you get the declaration of interest. Some players might have 11 clubs. Like your Lewis Daddy, might have had, to, I think he had 12 clubs. Everyone was saying at the time, one is signing, but I had the one and they were Wigan. And I looked at it and I thought, it's Wigan. It's like, wow, it's Wigan. And I thought, you know what? Because I'm going on to the academy, I, I want to make sure that before I sign a two year contract, because that's when it got kind of serious, you start to get, you start to get like, you sign contractual agreements, don't you? And I thought it was a massive call and I wanted to make sure I was going to look at everything first before saying no but putting the blinkers on 
So I went, I went over and I, I looked at, uh, it was oral, oral training ground at the time. And they, they took me down to Robin Park and walked me through what was going to happen. And I thought, I came back and I said at the time, said, well, he said, if I was you, man, I'd stay away. Field. That, that was his advice. And I sat down and I was thinking about it. And I thought, do I, what do I do to become the best player I want to be? For, like, whether well, facilities plays an impact in that or what? Uh, and I thought if I went to Wigan, it weren't like, they were like more or less the same money anyway that I'd been offered. And it weren't like I'm making a, a big money call at like 16. But I looked at it as the, the facilities. So I looked at the facilities wise as, if I if I could um, if I could get the most best facilities and put myself and try and work as dead hard as I could, where could I end up? And I I never knew where I could end up. And I just thought I wanted to train hard and living over there as well. I thought, oh, can I get life experience as well? Because I was living in a house with someone called Steve Ampson who played fullback for Wigan in the I think it was the eighties era, and he was he was there. He, he'd good answer working on the ASS two in London, and I'd been in the house four days and. I got I got a lot of vital life experience at 16 learn, like learn how to kind of survive and just survive I'd say and I got to the bottom of it and I thought right I'll make the call I'll, I'll go to Wigan and I'll sign sign at Wigan and a bit of me thought as well like I know I always struggle with like believing in myself and I thought if, if I didn't make it at Wakefield where could I end up and I thought I was like being dead realistic with myself so Sometimes you see the player that comes to Wakefield, they don't end up making it, and then they end up in Championship. That's the next step down. When you, you're brutally honest, and when you look at like your top four clubs, if they don't make it in the academy, they they always like they've always got a chance somewhere else. Uh, so I because I didn't believe in myself, I was always looking for Plan A, Plan B, and Plan D. <laughs> so I looked at it as right. I put myself first, and I'll try and believe in myself. Try and make it with with the facilities they were going to make at Robin Park as well. Uh, and that's what attracted attracted me. To be fair, uh, it was nothing that Wakefield did because Wakefield did everything they could. It was Michael Carr even like being in uh, contact with me saying, "Oh, we'll, we'll get you through the college and you can train with first team." I met Chris Chester, so it weren't it weren't nothing that Wakefield did do to keep me. I think it was just my call at the end of the day. Steve Amson, mate, you mentioned that name then. He was one of the yeah. greatest fullbacks I've seen from Wigan, Great Britain, from my era in the 80s when Wigan were the best best team in the league. Yeah, he's, he's a legend of a bloke and he was a fitness fanatic, as I'd say. Uh, the Watt bike at R5 in the morning, to be on the Watt bike and I'd, I'd, I'd slightly tread across landing so he didn't hear me, so he didn't get me on the Watt bike. Uh, but yeah, the, some of the stories he's told me and some of the players he's played with is remarkable. He played with like, like Ellery Handler, so like the greatest of them all, I'd say, and is it? Uh, it's it tell me the stories of what they they do and what they'd go through, and it's uh if you were if you was there, he said he'd used to run half a marathon on a Thursday before <laughs> training, and if you heard of that now nah, with all the sports science, you'd be called ludicrous. Uh, you might have to say that to John Kelly and see what he says about running half a marathon before training, but. <laughs> yeah, it tell me all the like the, the the details that you'd need to make it easier and. When you look at it, he was telling me to take the yardage carry. So you look at it now, and the, the England centre would take every single yardage carry, defend his heart out, and then attack, be able to do something special. And he'd always tell me from four years ago, he'd say, take as many runs as you can in yardage, just keep taking his load of runs. And they said, eventually, you just you get to a point where you can take the most carries out of everyone. And he, that, that was his main strong bit of advice. Uh, and the way you jump onto the ball, but I think because he was so good at, under the eyeball, and I think that was his advice as well. And 
Ampo would always say, I weren't the most talented of players, but I was always the most hardworking. And I took that on board as well. Uh, and the more time I got to spend time around him and the the, the, the past memories he had as a rugby player, I thought, I, I, I want to I wanna try and create some art for myself. In this yeah. area, I'm just looking at the team. You also got picked for Yorkshire Academy in England again. And I'm just looking at the Yorkshire team. We're talking 2019. You were part of a great set of bunch because there's a lot of first-teamers who've gone on to Super League here. I'm looking, you were in the centre alongside Jack Broadbent. Liam Tyndall was on the wing. Ben McNamara at scrum half. Corey Johnson hooker. Youssef was prop. Connor Bailey from Wakefield second row. And in the Lancashire side, there was um, uh, Hanley, Josh Sim, Lewis Dodd, Kai Pierce-Paul, that you sort of hit the big time at this time now, aren't you? Yeah, so when you look at it at that age, you would never think when you look three years on where some of these players are going or how, they, how they're performing. And I think it, it was, I might look back on it in 10 years, I think, gee, wow, that academy, to, that academy Yorkshire, like the origin was a, a big a big game and you didn't realise it. And yeah, to be picked for like the likes of Yorkshire, and I think the last game was at Wakefield as well and it made it extra more special for me to, to play that game as well. And yeah, it was a it was a it was an honour to like represent Yorkshire, and that led into getting the England selection for for my age at the time, and that was against Wales. And when I got picked for that, I was shocked again because I never I'd never think in my head, oh, I deserve to be on that side. I'd always play my art out for my club, and then if I did any time get picked up by the original international honours, I'd take it as a bonus. Uh, so I never got let down. So that's how I'd always take it. And yeah, to get called up in that space of one year was something special. Were you allowed to keep your England shirt? Yes, I was. Have you still got so, it? Yeah, I think, I, yeah, I have. So I've got the French, I give, I give it away to my uncle. So my uncle up in Kells, because they're big, they're big boozing, they're Haven, aren't they? So he's, he built a tavern in lockdown and he built like the, he calls it all of fame, but it's just like a wall of fame. And he's got like, he's uh, he, we're in the army, so he's got his soldier, like his army re uh, retro stuff. And he's got my shirts up there. And one of them's that he's got the a Wakefield jersey and um, an England jersey at the minute up, up on his uh, tavern in his back garden with the photos outside of the game that it comes to. So I, I, I give it to him. Brilliant, mate. Moving on. You came back to Yorkshire in 2020. How did the move to Leeds come about? So it was the. I struggled with the, the the travel. It would take me three hours, three and a half hours to get to Wigan on a on a single route, uh, and I was struggling being away from my, my family. Um, so that that played a part. So it got to January, and I was struggling. And I, I battled through it, patched up, and it got to around the July time, and it just it got a bit too much. And then there were like other things as well at the same time, and it just felt right to 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 go, even though it was like. It, people might have said you've thrown biggest chance of your life away. I, I just wanted to be close to my family because uh, I think that's my main priority is because I'm a family-oriented person. I just wanted to be around them. And like the lights, I couldn't be around them. just upset me. And I think that became much greater than my rugby and my playing. So I just spoke to my agent and said, uh, I want to come home and told them to the full extent. And he was, he was understanding. And before you know it, two phone calls and I was... I was uh, gone, um, and then he'd, he'd got the clubs up to choose from him. I ended up going to gonna, uh, Leeds and choosing Leeds, as I thought that that would be a good a good way to try and 
get myself in there and in amongst the system and learn that system as well. Um, met myself much more, much more of a, an approachable player because I've been in the Wakefield system, the Wigan system, and the lead system. So you could say like it looks like I I help clubs quite a bit, but I think being in those three systems, I think that I took a lot from that and I took it in my shine every step. And once I came along, I ended up signing a three-year deal at Leeds. And, mate, as soon as you went over, it was pretty much the world stopped, didn't it? 2020 COVID. How did you deal with that? And did you feel as though it stunted your, your development in any way? Uh, I'd say because I signed the first team deal at the lead. So, that, uh, so I was 17 going on 18 in, in the first team, one day a week in and around college. Uh, so when I was going up, I, were, I think I was getting more than I'd ever get at, at Wigan because I weren't training with the first team at all at Wigan. It was just the academy. So now I've gone, I took a step up from scholarship to academy to academy to first team one day a week. So I was learning, I, learning, like learning my, um, earning my stripes, as you could say. And then it got to the point where COVID hit, and then that was it. Uh, I was training on, training on like the local park, and then it opened up again. But I think instead of like, if you look at the likes of Jack Croft as well, but if you look at him before lockdown, I've only just learned that when I came Wakefield. So have you seen the physique? Is like the physique he's got, mm-hmm. and I think he took it as in his stride to become the leanest and the fittest he could be in lockdown. And when you look at him when he came out, it looks like a different man, even though he's in good shape before. And I think. I tried to set that approach, but obviously I didn't become as structured as he did. But I just want—I I just kept myself fit and uh, just just battled through it like most of us did. Uh, and it got to the point when we got back, my college, my college wasn't um, hadn't reopened yet, so I ended up training full time with the first team. And Richard Agard rang me saying, "Oh, I think you're coming in full time, mate. How does that sound now? Oh, oh, boom!" So I trained in June when it first opened up, and it was a bit of a shock to the system because. I had not trained first team before, but now you've got all these COVID rules in. It made it a bit of a weird experience, but I, I still loved it. And to be in and around that team, learning from some of the best, uh, I, I, it excited me to learn. Um, and when I trained, I kept training, and Richard Agard gave me the give me the call up. So we actually had Rich on the podcast last week, and he's, he's a good friend of, he's a good family friend of ours. Is Rich? We've both got a long way. What were it like working with a man with with such vast experience in the game? Yeah, I think when you look at someone like Rich, his, his knowledge of the sport is immaculate. So like the the little details that I've learned from what he'd said, like even like I don't like like when I'm outside Kirsch, I even said something like about something like Richard Agar told someone else a year ago, but it stuck in my head and. It, there's just a tiny detail that he knows, and I think I think it's because he tries to learn everything he can in the sport, and he's been over in the NRL as well, and he, he's got such a vast knowledge. And like I said, and just to be able to like learn little bits from him, I think has helped me massively. What what specific thing does he does he pick out with players? Is he very much a man management, or does he say something and then take a step back? I'd say he's uh, just the technicality of him. I'd say he's a very technical coach. Uh, he, he wants to get to certain points. Uh, he wants to look at look at the way players move the, on the shifts. He wants to look at what the what the uh, system's like for that team. So if you play a Saint Helens and aggressive, I'm going to jam on the edges and close you in and get you in the loop. Uh, so then it'd be players against that to more or less break them down. And when you look at a Wigan who's very passive, so they'll always move slide side to side. But how to go across teams like that? So, and even how wide an attacking a defending team stands. So, if a defending team stands dead wide, 
really the space is round them, even though they're not telling you. And if a team's really tight, the spaces are through them. Uh, so like little details like that, and if you want your winger five in, five off, so on your try line, it puts them in both worlds. So five in from sideline, five off the 10-meter line. And then they're in their box then when they can defend a grubber kick, an eye kick, and even if they do the cutout pass, they're, they're going to get there in a sec. And there were a time where they got, we got beat, well, Leeds got beat by grubbers. So I think we get Salford, and that week we spent learning how to defend grubbers. So which way to turn? So if, if you're sort of centre and, and then half-back puts the grubber in, if the centre's running on your outside shoulder, you like turn like turn into them. And if it's on your inside, you turn and it's just knowing what to do. And same with halfback, just way to move from a grubber that effectively blocks them. And like it was just that that much detail. Like it, it was hard to probably to remember it all, but it put me in good stead. Uh, I'd say I, I took a lot of it on, and especially the young lads at Leeds, is a very vibrant youth team, and I think they're doing their transition at the minute. When you look at the average age of that team, so yeah, it just put me in good stead. I'd say it's funny yeah, we're when, very when you chat to kind of a neutral or someone who just watches rugby league in, in passing. I, I imagine they would usually say it's just a game of running hard and tackling hard. Yeah. The technicality that you just spoke about there in terms of doing a whole week on defending grubber kicks. It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing how much detail there actually is in rugby league. Yeah, you you won't think it when you when you are, uh, you could ask some play like general general quizzes and you, they'd make rugby sound like a easy sporting world. But when, sometimes it does get down to the like nitty gritty of run hard, tackle hard, and play hard. But yeah, I, I think when you look at the game now from twenty years ago, it's very a lot technical and the technical wise of the sport and how it's played. I think the game speeds determine that because. You don't want to give the ball up as much, so you've got to be more technical in how you retain it and how you, you, you transition. So I think transition became a massive part of that. And with that, there's a lot of lot of things that you need to know. Like, and it's a lot of what the half bike like ten years ago used to have a lot of pressure on. I think it's slowly like spread across the team, so they have that type of knowledge. So if they get put in a situation like that, they know what to do. Um, don't get me wrong, the half bike's probably still the hardest position on the pitch, but I think a lot of players have got their type of knowledge now to, to know what to do. And when you look, you've got some centres like kicking or you've got some back rows kicking and you, you'd never see that a couple of years ago. Very interesting stuff, mate. Moving on to your first team debut at 18 years old. Didn't massively go to plan. A 34-6 home loss to Catalan behind closed doors as well. So you didn't really have, um, you know, the, the main fans there. But tell us about that experience and, and what it meant for you. So it, coming back from the court, uh, the lockdown, I was I was there and I was I was training in the most of the team and I always happy to train as my my contract out and just learn and become better and if I got the call up I didn't get the call up uh, and Richard Agard, well like funny enough the I had a close contact with Brad Dwyer uh, tested positive for COVID so uh, I I had to self isolate. For ten days, because the GPS on her back, it, it shown that I had been in contact, direct contact with Brad Dwyer for three seconds, and that three <laughs> seconds meant that I had to go into self isolation. So I had done that, and uh, I had gone in isolation. And the game against Catalan had come up, and I got a phone call from Rich saying, "I am here. Just an heads up. I think uh, you'll be making your debut." And he rang me and told me as well, and that was it. Then panic stations were all alert because. I, I'm making my first team debut when I've had 10 days off of not training or not playing and not going anywhere. So I had to 
I had to probably do some do some um quite bizarre, but I took my girlfriend on day ten of isolation, day before the game. The first day out of isolation would have been Khan's. So I thought I, I I've got to, I've got to try and do something. I put myself first here. So I took my girlfriend at the time to my local park on day before I kept my debut. And I did my team run with my girlfriend the day before my debut <laughs> on local park. <laughs> we were doing quick hands, so she was passing them in. I was doing quick hands and aiming for goal post. That was third man event. She was putting kicks up and trying to defend me. No, also it was bizarre. I've never never experienced how like it, but my team run was with my girlfriend the day before my debut. Is she good? Can she could she play if she wanted to? <laughs> I tried to get her on wing, but I think aesthetically, I don't think she'd want to get on pitch and ruin her looks. <laughs> I vaguely remember that game, mate. I can't remember if it was on Sky or if the highlights were on, but I remember you hitting the ball up to some Sam, Sam Mower and Cassiano, and I'm thinking, yeah. oh, crack, you're going to get killed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I looked at them and I thought I was, uh, and I just tried to use my footwork. But, yeah, I came on in the second half and I, I was I was nervous and I was asking stupid questions at half-time when they got told I was going to come on. I was asking my mate Liam Tindall, I said, what's ball feel like or what, what's pitch feel like? <laughs> I full well know what ball feels like and what pitch feels like. So I just warmed up outside 40 minutes ago. So <laughs> I was asking stupid questions really, but I was just nerves. But when I got on there, I, I just I just felt I felt like Norman. I was coming across Sam Tompkins and I thought, right, I've got Sam Tompkins here, I've got Yaha, I've got Mickey Mack, I've got Sam Mauer, Cassiano, Drinkwater, Israel Falawa playing at the time as well. <laughs> so I was happy I didn't go on his edge and I went on the other edge, but I think just to make it and just think, right, I'm playing with some of the best players that I've, uh, of this era and who I've grown up watching all my life as well. It felt surreal and I felt proud and I thought, like, just a little lad from Sheffield being able to make, make my debut for Leeds. And I just felt proud and just felt proud of myself and I was just happy and I was, I felt like I wanted to give everyone back that had helped me on that process away, along the way as well. And uh, a bit of me thought, like, but a bit of me were like, well, wait, it all started away. It feels so even more respect went into them. And my grandma was main gaffer at like where some of the things she could come out with, she's quite the loudest. We'd all like she'd always keep keep eye on Wakefield and my family would always keep the, the eyes on Wakefield scores, and I know I certainly would. And I always kept my eye on when I was at Wigan when uh, they beat Leeds at, at Edinley when Bill set Tom up for I think it was two tries and he got over himself. So I'd always watch the games then at Wakefield whenever I could. And it's a club that's always close to my heart. Good stuff, mate. Last last season, 2021, seemed an up-down season for you. You played that one game against Castleford. You had the laws of not playing again for Leeds that year. But then you got a bit of a pick-me-up at York on loan. Tell us about last year. Yeah, so last year was a roller coaster. I reckon it was like, I nearly broke at one point. Uh, so I had played the 40 minutes at Catalans a year previous, and I had played 14 minutes against St. Helens. Uh, and I sat on the bench for Wigan game fully. So I, I altogether had 54 minutes of game experience. And the next season, in the pre-season, I worked, 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 worked really hard. It was me and Jack Broben competing for a spot, and we were both close mates. And I'd say close mates in the team, and especially in the squad at the time. So there were no like rivalry or grudge or anything like that. But at the time, it was me or him really. And Richard Agar sat us down and told me, "Oh." This Huddersfield uh, friendly game is going to determine who starts round one. Uh, Jack had the better game, and by the end of it, I shook his hand and wished him best. Said, "I hope you, I hope you do well, mate. Like we've gone hard at it both as an Avernal. I kind of knew, haven't you? You've earned it, so I was happy for him." 
and I, I, I wanted to, I wanted to see him do the best, and he had a good season that year. But I got my chance around, uh, I think it was round four, maybe on April time mm-hmm. against Castleford, uh, my first ever Super League start, and it was against a, a very experienced edge. You had you like to Jordan Turner, Shenton, uh, Jake Truman, and I forgot the back row at the time. Uh, oh, Oggy Holmes. So that was their edge, and between them both, they had a, between Jordan Turner and Shannon, I think there could have been three, four hundred games between them both, and I had 54 minutes <laughs> of game. So I had played, and yeah, I, I did a few, few uh, errors and a few mistakes that cost us, but I worked hard in other ways as well, and um, Rich, Rich just didn't feel comfortable to me throughout the year after that. I sat on the bench for Wigan, a full game, sat on the bench, didn't get on. Um, but yeah, it was easy to put my head down in the, and get my head in the dumps. And I'd say at one point, it, I was very close to thinking is rugby worth it because I thought like, not because I weren't getting played every week, so I didn't expect that at all. Uh, it was just like the the systems of how some people were like, we're getting bringing loan and I thought, right, they I don't think there is a future for me and I had a year left on my contract as well. And I felt kind of like trapped. Uh, so I thought, I was like, in my head, I was like thinking, right, is rugby worth it? What am I doing so wrong? Why can't I get better? And then I spoke to my agent. I said, uh, yeah, I'm like, told them the download again. And he said, don't worry, we'll get you on loan. So I went on loan to York, uh, Ford and Mourinho, you could call him, James Ford. Um, I went there and uh, I said, I played some of the best rugby I've, I've played up to date. Like from then, uh, I was making line breaks, setting people up, playing with, ben, playing with Bish. It was like a legend of Wakey, the amount of times he's ran full length. And I was learning things like that from uh, Elias and Bish and Mikey Lewis as well with, with me on loan. And then we had Kermo as well and Chris Clarkson on, on back rowers. So I learned a lot from that. And I only played three games, but I took it in my stride. And I think I built some momentum going into the year after. Uh, and it came into the off-season time after that. But yeah, much respect for York and what they did for me. Mate, then you found yourself back home. It must have felt. I know you've had, you know, you had some good experiences at Wigan and Leeds, but it must have felt like you're almost back to normality when you end up back at Bellevue. Yeah, exactly. So I, uh, my agent Craig Harrison was, we were doing basketball sessions all the way through our off season to keep players fit. And even playing two v two games, you end up running six kilometers. You weren't expecting, but I kept going. And then one night I turned up. And he knew I was unhappy at Leeds, and he knew that. Well, not unhappy, but like I knew I. I weren't getting picked and I were never really going to get picked by the looks of it. Uh, I think we both knew as well. And one day he just said, oh, I've got you a two-year deal at Waker. Mm-hmm. How do you feel? Uh, and I was, I was walking on basketball court and I just screamed like in like happiness. I mean, where I, I spoke to Willie that night, I spoke to Carter that night, and before you know it, I was at training the first thing in the morning. Uh, so it came around very quick. Uh, but I didn't. I didn't need to look. I didn't need to speak to anyone. I had a decision in my head, and my one of my best mates, Harry Bowes, he was there as well. And I, sp- I was speaking to him like a, a month before. It's saying, "Oh, if I came to Wakefield, I can like we're just like in a way kind of manifesting it, and it actually happened." Uh, so I got the two-year deal, and I was buzzing him, and I just signed it straight away. And spoke to Willie. Willie said, "Yeah, come in morning, meet the lads." And I think it was their second day pre-season or first day. And I had uh, turned up. Uh, I didn't think I'd be training at all. Uh, so I've, I've woke up. Willie's woke me up at uh, half seven in the morning. 
hit him and said, oh, I am it. This, this is what you might need to bring. I said, I just said to him, oh, do I need to bring my boots? And he went, yeah, bring your boots just in case. So I've took my boots and then before you know it, I'm in my Nike set. I thought, oh, I'll be holding some T-shirts, some scarves or whatever, shaking hands, saying hello <laughs> to lads, having my dinner whatsoever. And I ended up in wrestle room. And after that, I went, <laughs> it was a, I'm like, right, yeah, best get to work here. Uh, and I had done a full session and I had funny enough done it in this night jumper here. Turned up in that and I thought, oh, it's going to get ruined in wrestling room. But no, I got through it, met all the lads, lovely lads. Uh, and yeah, just just, just looked, kicked on from pre-season and thought, you know, I'm going to get it hard as I can. I've been given a chance. Willis give me a chance and Michael's give me a, a second chance. And I thought I'm just going to prove them right and prove prove like Leeds wrong in a way. And it, it, looking at the looking at the squad, mate, at the start of the year, obviously you you kind of you were behind two modern day legends in Riesling and Bill Tupu, but kind of Bill's misfortune was your good fortune, mate, because you found yourself selected in the first game of the season against Hull. Yeah, so when that when that happened, I was like totally shocked that it even happened. Like when you look at likes of Riesling and Bill Tupu, Bill Tupu, Dream Team Centre, Riesling, England International, even in this World Cup. So when you look at that. It's, you think right? You've got big boots to fill if, if you never play one week. And I were I was like in a way kind of nervous about um, competing with him because I know how much of great players they were. And if I did look up to anyone, who, who would have probably been Bill when I was watching, like I said, with the Leeds games when I was beginning, the full emphasis we were doing and the the how, how just physical he was and how good he was. Uh, and I, I turned up day one and I thought right. I'm always, I said, I knew where my place was. I knew where I stood. And I thought I was just going to do my best and do my best. I had a better chance of playing at Wakefield than I would have at Leeds anyway, even if I worked fourth pick at Wakefield. So I thought I'd just do my best and work hard. And if it came, it came. I just want to just want to do well for myself. And it, I, we'd gone through the pre-season and I were learning off like you like to Reese. And I was like asking Bill that question because he weren't training fully because of his knee. And then Jack Crawford coming back from his knee as well. Uh, so I was trying to learn from all this. And Thomas Min signed as well. So, and him at 21, 22 OKR was a rele- like revelation with how good he was. So I was learning tips from him when he was my age as well and what to do and how he, he had it tough at Leeds. So that's a bit similar to me. Uh, Willie and Franny and Mash had put a lot of effort into me. JK had got me a good, in good shape in gym. Um, and Ash and who were there as well throughout the time. And, we're tra- I was training really hard and I was going to gym afterwards and doing sessions on my own as well, trying to just become physically like capable of playing Super League. And then the Boxing Day game came around to play against who I just, just uh, signed from. And it was quite a surreal moment because that's when I felt the full force of like a lot of fans. And uh, it was like it was a youthful team. They were like, it was young lads. And I feel that gave me more confidence playing with people like I'm not the only one in the same boat. Like, so went out there and we, I think we 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 shown ourselves well and you saw glimpses of what Murphy can do when he ran the full ran like half a pitch and scored a try first try, try game. Spot on yeah. stuff. And then and then you found yourself playing 26 games out of a possible 29 this season. After all the kind of the ups and downs of playing 50 odd minutes in however many seasons, yeah. you played so much this year, mate. What what have you taken from from your own development this year? Well, I was I was happy to play. Like, me and my the agent sat down and said, right, he said, Corey, if you get 10 games in the next two years, <laughs> you'll, be, you'll, you'll be flying. So that's all that thing I thought, right, get, get trying, that's five a year. So I thought, right, one every four months or one every two months or whatever. Uh, so I thought, right, that's what I want to try and push for. And I think 
I started started the first the f- first game of the season that were massive because to start the first game of the season that's the best team put up that you can really. So I took that in confidence and I, I just I thought if Willis give me the confidence and the coaching staff would give me the confidence to come across the whole side and make the start and season open, I thought right, I want to give back. So from then I just thought I I, I was on on my uh, opta on my phone where you can see the the stats and the clips of people and I could tell you I thought I was playing against two of Arvey, so I could tell you what his his heritage were like you guys tell me about ours and all those players. I'd gone through that much detail, I could tell you everything about him and what foot he'd step off, what he'd do, what hand he'd do, where he'd look when he were about to do something. And I'd like got it down to a team and I came across came across Cameron Scott. And I <laughs> thought, oh yeah, I've, I've, I've stuffed it here. <laughs> uh, and I think that did me well anyway, because I, I knew what I prepared for and I prepared for the best. And then I, I played against Cameron Scott and it was good battle and we, um, I played, managed to play well. Um, and yeah, just to play these 26 games is surreal. I don't, I don't believe it. Nah, it's like a bit like I've got a pinch myself. And especially for a club like Wakefield as well, where it's it's like to play youngsters, like it didn't really hurt of as much in Wakefield. Like they'd always go out with a most experienced side. And I feel like it gives me more confidence to be able to be in that team. And yeah, the, the likes of Bill not being able to play, and it's, 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 it's such a, it's um, such a like a shame because some of the things if he'd got on the pitch and got back to his normal self would have been far much better what I could have done and got, like you couldn't think of what he could have done this season and being careful of so yeah just to be able to like even speak to Bill and like learn from him it's like I look at it and I'm I'm uh, yeah quite quite shocked that I got this many games and I feel like I tried to set the opportunity and I think I'm, I tried, I think I've, I've took it really Spot on stuff, mate. What about this move to second row recently as well? Have you found that? <laughs> so the it came about as Willie had just rang me one morning and me and me and Harry Bowles, Harry Bowles texted me and said, you know, Kalepi's like, you're in, no one else is in, you're in. Uh like we are laughing face, and I put, Oh yeah, definitely we're laughing face. And then half seven, half seven and uh, day before game, uh, day before training for team run, Willie rings me and says, Oh, what do you think? Uh, back row and I said yeah well I'll play anywhere if you need me to I'll play absolutely anywhere and I'll try and do my art I'll play my art art so he said oh no worries we'll keep it in mind ain't certain yet but keep it in mind turn up at training he said you'll train back row today did well and yeah played back row but I have played it for the past I have played two academy games previous at back row at Leeds the year prior to that and uh, I just thought I made like it I won't have to take those yardage carries out or exit no more. So exit sets no more. So I might, it might be a blessing in disguise. But yeah, I learned the term washing machine and what it meant and how it felt. Uh, it didn't feel too good. <laughs> it tested me. But yeah, I think it's it's just more me to add to bone. I reckon in my game, what I can play. I reckon realistically wise, I reckon I'm more of a back row centre than a centre wing. When you look at centres, you've got your Chev Walker's who I was heavily close to last year as well, who was a back row centre. Later on, Carl Watkins' back row centre. And you look at your, like your Gildart centre winger or some players can play centre winger. And I, I think I'd take a step in and a step out uh, on the pitch. And I think that's just made me find, find something in my game that I didn't know I had. Uh, I'm not the biggest as, uh, back row. as a weigh 92 kilos and your average Super League back row is about 9,800 kilo. Uh, so, yeah, I just had to... Do the little effort, effort, um, 
areas well as well. And yeah, not not looked back since. But there was a time where I could have played fullback against Toulouse early on in the season. So when we got Morgan Eskery and that weren't a certain. So when I didn't find that, I didn't know what I'd, what I'd be going off. Uh, and Willie had brought me in and said, oh, how do you feel, feel about playing uh, fullback? Because you play fullback in the scholarship. And I just said the same thing. I said, yeah, I'll play anywhere that's best for the team and I'll try my hardest. And he said, all right, no worries. Uh, and then we got Morgan in, so I didn't end up playing there. But yeah, I could have ended up playing fullback as well against Toulouse. Good stuff, mate. From a, a supporter's point of view, I think that's where we can actually see how your game's developed. Because like in your early days, like we've mentioned, you used to run at uh, Sam Moore and Cassiano and get smashed. And early on in the season, you got smashed by Wormsley when you got carried yeah. off the Dillons. <laughs> and that, <laughs> that cost you a game. Then suddenly, four, five, six months on, you're taking on the whole pack, Scott Taylor, Mau Mau, and you're taking it, you're not only taking him on, but you're, you're winning the you're winning the line as well and taking the carries. So I thought, well, that's how your games developed over over the 2022 season. Yeah, well, thanks for the kind words, man. And yeah, I feel like as a player, like I, I just progressively get better every week. I don't shoot up and I don't like shoot down. I think I just could, could, like gradually get better every game. Hopefully, I'd like to think so. And. I think that's that's what I want to be as a player. I want to be a consistently good player. Like you look at Mr. Consistency, Matty Ashes, every week, week in, week out, he's played every game of the season and he plays well. And I think I look up to that and I think, yeah, I want to, I want to try and be like a good, consistent player. And I think by getting better every week, no matter how much it grows or whatever, I think that's what I just want to try and push for. And especially for the next season now, I want to, I want to try and work even harder in pre-season and become more of an established Super League player. And then just as we start to wind down here, Corey, you've, you've only just turned 20 last month, um, which is remarkable to say everything you've achieved so far and everything you've been through. What, what's kind of aims and aspirations in your career? I know it's a bit of a cliche question, but what, what are you looking to do in the next couple of years? I reckon just cement a Super League spot, like because you're never safe as a, as a young star in the team. They could always bring a sign in that. You never know where you stand after that. So I think just to become a cement my Super League like spot and become an established player uh, that could play that can play Super League that's what I want to do and obviously I, you'd, I'd, I'd want to try and play for the internationals and I think that's a, a massive honour as well and really just being able to play weight field mate like that that's what I love doing and that's who's giving me the chance so that's that's what my aspirations are just to keep playing and getting better and see where see where the journey takes me and last but not least, mate, tell us about you away from rugby league. You know, you've mentioned your partner, you know, you mentioned kind of stuff away from there. What what do you do in your spare time? So uh, looking at comments, it could be like I'm a, I'm a kebab foodie. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I like to I like to just go. I like to experience different things. Like me, like me and my girlfriend, I go on holidays and like to explore it. I like to spend time with my family. Just, just seeing people like I've got like nieces that are like growing up and I've got little brothers and sisters that I get to see growing up and just being in and around it like I, I just that's what I love and she, she, like Sheffield United I have father-in-law's a Wednesday night so we have our clashes um, it's just I, I do like my food if, if I had to be brutally honest as well but who doesn't eh? uh, yeah I, I just try to keep my mind occupied away from uh, rugby as well and just be a good, be a good family-like person, and be a good mate to my my friends as friends as well. Spot on, mate. And I, I think me, I mean, I'm sure my dad and my family would back me up. As fans who stand on the terrace in every week, we see the amount of effort that you've put in this year, and you've slotted in 
as a as a book as a normal first teamer now. Everyone can, kind of looks at you as a as a first class first team, and we forget your age and we forget your experience. And we, I think everybody hopes that you'll be at Wakefield for a good couple of years as well, mate. So we're we're very humbled and very thankful that you've come on this podcast. Oh, thank you, mate. Thank you for the kind words, and yeah, you know, I, I appreciate you having me on. And uh, I see some of the legends that come on here, and I see, I see it on Twitter quite a bit. Uh, so yeah, it's an honour to be amongst, amongst one of the people to come on here and yeah, way it feels like my like the club that's close to my heart and yeah, I, I want I want to be a, and play for the, the, this club. Super stuff, great way to end, Corey. Thank you, everybody, for listening to episode 57 of the Wakefield Trinity Heritage Podcast. You can find us all on podcasting platforms worldwide and follow us on Facebook and Twitter for real-time updates on the podcast. Massive thank you once again to my co-host, Lee Robinson. Thank you very much to the young blue chipper, Corey Hall. I have been Jamie Robinson, and we'll catch you all down the road. Hi, it's Cammy Triscamara. You have been listening to the Trinity Heritage Podcast with Jamie and Lee Robinson. It's unbelievable!